the really the tricky part for civil affairs, what I would say for Africa is knowing exactly where you're going, which country you're going to, because whichever country you end up deploying to really kind of dictates and changes what you're going to have to do to prepare before getting in in the country. So the regional understanding of each country is really tricky. Hello, everybody. My name is James Michichi, and welcome to 1CA Podcast. Today, we have Lieutenant Colonel Albert Augustine. He is the G9 at the Southern European Task Force, the entity formerly known as USRAP, but we will be referring to it as CTAF for the rest of the day today and for the foreseeable future. Today, our discussion will continue along our regional perspectives. We already talked to some folks at AFRICOM to get the GCC, the Global Combatant Command perspective. Now, we're going to be dialing that down further to get the service component command, the ASCC, the Army Service Component Command perspective of how civil affairs elements are operating on the continent of Africa, supporting both Army, Joint, and interagency and government uh, USG, US government goals and objectives, and kind of the future, the challenges they face, and the strategic operating environment there. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Augustine, sir, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, James. All right. Looking forward to the discussion. Lieutenant Colonel Augustine has worked in multiple civil affairs staff jobs, focusing on missions around the globe. Currently, as I said, he is CTAF G9. He advises the CTAF CG on all conventional CA forces on Africa. Additionally, the CTAF G9 director is focused on two other main key efforts. First is training and deploying the early entry command posts in support of humanitarian disaster relief, HADR, political unrest, and non-combatant evacuation operations, or NEO. Second, CTAF is beginning the planning for Exercise Africa Line 21 in Morocco. Lieutenant Colonel Augustine joined CTAF in July 2019. And previous assignments uh, include CA Planner for Landcom in Izmir, Turkey, CA Planner for U.S. Army Europe in Wiesbaden, Germany, S-9 for 1st Special Forces Group at Joint Base Lewis-McChord, Washington, and the 3-2 IBCT S-9 deployed to Afghanistan. So I think it's a real pleasure we have that breadth of experience coming from Lieutenant Colonel Augustine. And I'll start off with, sir, if you could just kind of give us an overview of the civil affairs operations that uh, CTAF currently has on continent and how those are supporting some greater efforts at the GCC, the joint level, and the overall USG level, sir. Uh, Thank you very much, James. I'm looking forward to this. Um, So great opening question. We're basically almost starting again from uh, ground zero. COVID-19 obviously hitting and uh, has put a big dent on uh, operations throughout the continent. And we are now getting back into the the swing of things, even though things are starting to tighten up a little bit. Uh, Currently with uh, uh, COVID, um, we're still moving forward in that capacity. The big change for CTAF um, as we move forward now is that we went from a RAF, a uh, regionally aligned force to the SFAB. We have an SFAB that is aligned now towards Africa and the SFAB is getting on continent and starting to do great things on the continent. And we are now uh, working uh, with them in some of the aspects of stuff of uh, civil affairs activities and uh, trying to to increase our footprint also. Additionally, POA, which is in the east part of Africa, everybody's probably familiar with that, is uh, an area now that we are now uh, gotten control over. We have uh, Uh, operational control over the civil affairs forces in the east and we have now um, started to to uh, direct them on activities on the continent also and as that as as we start to get more fidelity on that we'll be flushing out 
more activities in the east also. So uh, currently, uh, we have civil affairs forces spread on both the east and the west in, in multiple countries, but in only uh, a handful of countries currently. How are they supporting the AFCOM campaigning plan and some of the greater efforts out there? So um, along that lines, um, the, the tactical teams are in varying missions. Like I said, there's one that's working in conjunction with the SFAP, so trying to help further that ob- objective in, in Tunisia. We have uh, Boss I missions um, on the continent, so helping with maintaining security and activities in two countries, uh, specifically in, in Niger, where they're uh, helping with uh, just stability of the operations that we're doing in the area. And then in the east, again, basically ramping up activities that have been kind of degraded because of COVID. So we're now seeing, starting to see more planning with uh, OASIS projects. I know that I just got out of a meeting with that today that we'll be conducting as well as just directing normal uh, civil affairs activities on the continent in the east. So, sir, that's that sounds like you got a really wide spectrum, one of the largest continents in the world, and you got a, a wide footprint there. Now, I, my understanding is one of the reasons you're able to get after that wide footprint is because you guys are able to have both RC reserve component and active component forces underneath you. Um, is that is that having both those capability sets really useful to use uh, to CTAF as an ASCC to have that wide breadth of CA forces? Yes. Um, oh, absolutely. So um, taking a, another step back, just the, the overall AFRICOM perspective, as far as providing uh, priorities for the of, of the continent, as as you're probably aware of, and some of the listeners, um, we, we're, it's Africa. Is we, we say Africa, but it's not the United States of Africa. Is what I like to say. It's 54 individual countries, and uh, AFRICOM has provided us with a, a priority list. We have tiered countries. Uh, the SFAB is in some of them. We're also in some. So we're able to prioritize the the continent based on those priorities. Um, and with the uh, GFM process, the global force management process, uh, we're able to, based on our analysis and planning for the continent, we're able to then project out what we are requiring for resources. And as we put in in the GFM process, our requirements, we get back both an active component and a reserve component piece to that. So the 83rd, and I'm I'm hesitant to to mention names because if I forget somebody, I'm gonna hear about it probably um, in an email, but on the 83rd side, Lieutenant Colonel Saylor, Shane Saylor, as well as um, Major Mel Baroni, who have been uh, helping us on the active duty side. And then we have on the reserve side, the 353rd, Civil Affairs Command. We're working prim- primarily with the Deputy Commander Colonel Comiskey out there, but uh, we have multiple forces. And even in, at, at at the staff level, we are in the, integrated with both active duty forces and civil and reserve forces um, through the CoADOS system. So we're we have a good mix of both, and we have a good mix of both on the continent. Yeah, I, I know when I, I, I was there as a CMOC, it was fantastic having my reserve component CMOC on me being active site right next to me. And we, we did everything together. And I think the teams in adjacent countries did the same thing. So I think it's one of those, you know, good lessons learned as well as good news stories. I think USERA, CTAF really high 
highlights how the AC and RC integration works well there. Um, yeah. I will follow up on a point you made, and I, I found a lot of people do think it is the United States of Africa. They think it's this monolithic construct there. But um, I think that adds to the complexity of the operating environment that you face um, and the G9 staff faces, because um, you can look at different countries and they're so different based off previous colonial history, language, religion, area, economics. So if you could just walk us through some of those, you know, challenges in the operating environment, this, this very complex operating environment that is Africa, um, what are some of the big challenges? What are some of the big threats? What are the, some of the big challenge uh, opportunities that you at CTAF see within this human and civil domain in Africa right now? That question right there, we could spend like a week on discussing that. And I, and I know our security cooperation division um, here in CTAP would love, we, we have multiple desk officers and all of them would be able to provide that kind of level of information. The really the tricky part for civil affairs, what I would say for Africa is knowing exactly where you're going, which country you're going to, because whichever country you end up deploying to really kind of dictates and, ch and changes what you're going to have to do to prepare before getting in, in the country. So the regional understanding of each country is really tricky. And the easy thing for dividing up Africa to, into a, a more manageable understanding and footprint is kind of knowing where historically people have. So the, the nice thing about Africa is that um, there's a long, rich history, both internal for the, for the uh, continent as well as external with the European and, and now US and, and Russian forces that have kind of uh, played havoc um, on, the, on the continent. And because of that historical interplay, you'll see definitely kind of where the US has interest as well as the US is uh, currently kind of focused. And you can kind of see also in the uh, GPC, the um, either great power or global power competition, depending on how you want to phrase it, where the, the Russians as well as the, the Chinese kind of have interest also. So for the U.S. perspective, it's pretty easy. Like I said, uh, we have AFRICOM who's provided us some tiered countries, mainly in the in the north and in the east is where historically the U.S. has been involved. And that's where you see a lot of our forces. So. So the follow-up, yeah, exactly. That sounds like the AFRICOM guidance kind of gets pushed down, and it's it's very much contextual based on where the teams are going. But my question would be: Are you most of your mission sets? And you, you mentioned GPC, but there's also a legacy of counterterror. GPC being Greater Global Power Competition. There's yeah. also a lot of legacy counterterrorist uh, CT CVE counterviolent extremist operations still going on in Africa that aren't going on elsewhere. Is it a 50-50 mix between the two of them, or are you still focusing more on the um, the CVECT side of the house. How does that playing out for CTAF right now? If um, you had the team from AFRICOM on, they would have a, probably a different take than, than potentially I would have a, a take. And then both of us are going to probably change our thinking. So the, what you just laid out is exactly right. The counterterrorism piece, countering DEOs, um, obviously has been a huge part of what the Army has been focused on and has, has been a huge part of what has happened on the continent. And what I try to remind people is that where we're at now, GPC, is uh, in, you're in the beginning stages of it. So there is some change in thinking coming as far as what that means and, and how we're going to get after it. But right now, I would say, um, especially from an AFRICOM perspective, um, CT is probably the biggest piece of what we're getting after. And GPC 
um, is kind of changing that. And the, the other thing I would add to that also is that a lot of the thinking here in CTAF has changed mainly because of the SFAB. So changing from a, a, a RAF to the SFAB has kind of changed um, our forces that we have available. And then again, kind of what we're able to do and what we're going to do. Um, and I think that's going to really kind of shape our thinking as we move forward. And like I said, a lot of the discussion on GPC is going to shape a lot of the future operations of what we're getting after in the, in the future. So we're right now, probably 50-50 is a fair assessment. Yeah, and I, I would actually uh, offer this question to you as a follow-up to that is could you often, often see that, you know, CT slash CVE is an uh, opportunity to do some great power competition. Specifically along that continuum, you have cooperation. So some of that advising, assisting, and training that CTAF does allows us to compete with, you know, Russia, China, you know, you name the actor or the agent through some of the CV and CTE efforts. Probably throughout all three areas at a strategic, operational, and a tactical level, there's enough flexibility to do operations that would kind of fall into both areas. Um, so it, it's maybe somewhat how, how you couch what you're doing versus is it, you know, helping work in a degraded environment because of COVID, but that also then plays over potentially depending on what you're doing that could um, kind of scratch the itch for both um, GPC as well as uh, countering the EOs. You, you're not really changing what you're doing, but you're gonna kind of put more of an understanding or an emphasis in um, your analysis of what you're getting out of that and how that affects those kind of things is what I would say. But um, for the most part, that's what you kind of laid out is spot on. The other part of that great answer from before is you mentioned again the the how the SFAB Security Forces Assistance Brigade uh, to SFAB I do believe it's aligned to uh, CTAF has kind of changed a lot of how you guys view things in terms of how you're able to operate and how you're able to view some of the forces allocated. Um, how are the CA teams uh, that are currently on continent? integrating with the SFAB efforts or preparing to go on continent? And are there organic capabilities uh, within the SFAB itself that promote CAO, CMO, and other human domain specific uh, uh, actions and operations? To be determined, and we will see, I guess, is the is an easy cop-out uh, answer for me. However, what I will say is um, right now, in at least one country, the 83rd CA Battalion, they have a team on the ground working basically shoulder to shoulder with the SFAB. In the east, in the, where we have a preponderance of our force, um, we're starting to work and, and figure that piece out. We have planners here at CTAF or SFAB from the SFAB, and we're able to work with the staff here. So we are kind of figuring out as that goes on a lot. Like I said, so COVID has really kind of slowed down or maybe focused um, our activities at a, at a different pace. And um, as we're breaking through that period and, and really getting after things now, um, we're starting to see more and more opportunities. Um, so some places are better than others. And like I said, um, where we're both in the same place at the same time and working together, it's going to work out pretty well. And the, the one advantage I will highlight from the SFAB that's back in the United States is also the 83rd CA Battalion's back in the United States at the same location. So planners on from both units are able to communicate and discuss some of the planning and then we're going to be able to leverage that here in CTAF also as we start to build that relationship with the SFAP. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. 
Do you have an idea for an upcoming podcast or know someone who may be a good person to interview? Contact us at capodcasting at gmail.com. Hello again, friends. John McGilligan here. I want to tell you about another reason for supporting the show. 1CA is under the umbrella of the Civil Affairs Association, a 501c19 veterans organization. People can support the podcast through tax-deductible donations. Money raised will be used to send junior NCOs and officers to two events hosted by the CA Association. The first is a symposium held each fall. The second is a roundtable and workshop held in the spring. Each junior NCO and officer selected will also receive a membership to the CA Association. If you'd like to support the podcast, then please visit the CA Association website at civilaffairsassoc.org. That's civilaffairsassoc.org. And please remember that all donations are tax deductible. Thanks for your support. So you've mentioned COVID a few times, and it's definitely a challenge. I've, I've heard that from a couple of a lot of folks from a lot of different theaters in terms of you know making sure our, our troops are safe going in and out, as well as our partner nation forces and the civilians there. Um, that is a challenge, but you know for every challenge, there's usually an opportunity. Has COVID presented any opportunities for CAO, CMO, civil affairs operations, civil military operations mm-hmm. on continent? I think I might have seen some things on the uh, inter- on the internet about you know teams reaching out and providing medical assistance. Anything along those lines? Working in a, a degraded environment is a, an extremely important aspect for um, general rolling here in CTAF. Um, so not stopping things because of COVID, but still finding ways to work through and around some of the difficulties that are, are popping up. So obviously working, um, the, the easiest one for civil affairs specifically is helping by providing resources and guidance on on some activities. So obviously what, I mean, historically what you would normally do just to try to help protect people as far as social distancing, hand washing, uh, face mask, and providing some kinds of uh, protective equipment in that capacity, as well as just trying to uh, culturally get that kind of things happening um, on a wide scale basis is the, the biggest thing. So having seeing forces now with um, doing engagements where you have both teams that are um, engaging and in, in, in meeting, having face mask on and, and doing a little bit of the social distancing and having more space and doing that kind of stuff, as well as providing a lot of equipment and, and resources is what you see right now to get after that. No, I definitely, and you know, having that medical capability, and I know the reserves have entire medical teams and detachments they can push forward. Really, really, really uh, helps out with um, those operations. So within the joint doctrine, there's this competition continuum. Um, You know, for those not familiar with that, there's three phases to that. There's elements. There's cooperation. There's competition below levels of conflict, and there's armed conflict. Right now, how is CTAF seeing the role CA plays in those uh, three different buckets of competition, uh, those three different elements of them? Once again, cooperation, competition below levels of conflict, and armed conflict for the listeners that might not be familiar with that new joint doctrine. I would say that we are focused more on the cooperation piece, maybe a little bit in training forces and, and getting after so they can participate in the competition below levels of conflict. But as far as armed conflict, what I try to remind people is we don't have a boogeyman here. We don't have a, a North Korea. We don't have a China. 
um, per se for forces. We don't have a Vladimir Putin on the, on the ground that we are trying to, to defeat. Um, you might have um, some VEOs in the, on the continent, and I, 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 that's probably not the right terminology, some, but you have VEOs on the continent um, that are, we're, we're getting after, but you don't have that huge, easy target to focus on for armed conflict. Um, so the exercises are really trying to help build forcing the forces up to be able to participate in a, in a conflict situation. But we don't have, per se, um, that force on force um, scenario um, on the continent to, to potentially be threatened by at this time. So, so the cooperation is the easy one to kind of focus on and, and get after. Just a question on the VEO uh, follow-up on that. So it definitely – there are a lot of VEOs on the ground, but would you say that that threat is more of – there's two different types. So a lot of literature says there's near jihad and far jihad. Would you say the preponderance of those on the continent are actually near jihad? So we actually – they're more targeting the local governments, the local populations rather than uh, existential threats of the United States and Europe, and then that's where that cooperation really comes in to help our partner nations – have the governance, the structures, and the military to be able to combat those internally? What you just explained is pretty close to what you see on the continent right this second. Most of the uh, organizations that you, that we were focused on are more local and regional threats. They're not direct threats to the United States of America. So uh, mom and pop back in Nebraska are not worried about any of the VEOs potentially, maybe outside of ISIS, here on the continent. However, what I would also say is that it depends because the world situation is fluid and it's not uh, static. So potentially because we have a lot of ungoverned spaces here in, in Africa and um, some failed nations, to say that it, if you couldn't have a group that is currently somewhere else in the world who might have difficulty set up shop here in Africa and then project power out from there is something that could happen based on events somewhere else in the world. It's kind of a yes and no answer, but for the most part, no. That leads really into another question I was going to ask you, and you'd mentioned you know, uh, Horn of Africa is now underneath CTAF, East Africa. Um, right. And then you also mentioned you know, Africa is shares seams or borders with you know, Southcom, South America, all across a you know, water border. They have the – obviously, there's yeah. the influence of North Africa into Europe, and then there's a large uh, Gulf of Aden, Red Sea, into CENTCOM. Um, mm -hmm. How much coordination and collaboration does CTAF do, specifically G9 and the G9, with those other ASCCs or even the GCCs to look at the trans-regional threats that cross those borders, the migrants that might go across those, or anything else that affects the human domain, like some of those VEOs or even some of our state-centric competitors that might be trying to operate? You know, Russia just announced yesterday they're opening a base in Sudan, a, naval, a submarine, naval nuclear yeah. submarine base, so something along those lines. So I, I, I'm very happy to answer this question, mainly because we talked a little bit about calling what it was formerly U.S. Army Africa to CTAF. Part of the reason why we're CTAF now is the Army has redeveloped some of the organizations. Um, so U.S. Army Europe, USER, has now taken on a, a bigger role, and um, there's a merger that is, uh, is currently um, being ongoing, and so... General Cavoli, who was the USER commander, three-star uh, command, is now a four-star command. They have the ASCC part of um, U.S. Army Africa up there, and it's still we're still in the beginning stages of what does that mean, and we are now CTAF because of that. 
Um, so to get after your question, uh, it was a long way to get to the answer that yes, um, from a genome, genome perspective. So again, I'm throwing out a name, uh, Lieutenant Colonel A.B. Biller, who's up there, who's my counterpart up there. We've been talking and, and discussing a lot of that and what the, what the future holds for both of us. And we're still getting after as the, as the commanders start to, to flesh out and figure out a lot of the, the command responsibilities. What does that mean for us? So in that aspect with uh, USER, we are de definitely in a direct um, engagement. As far as the other commands that you um, kind of alluded to, low-level discussions for the most part. Um, so the CENTCOM piece of it, not too much because there's very little overplay from a land component perspective on that. Um, but there is some bleed over from certain um, operations and um, planning that is going on. And again, to be determined as, as they flesh out. But for the most part, USER is our biggest one that I've been talking to. Yeah, fantastic. It's good to see that. And then, you know, that's something that people say that, you know, there is a lot of seams and people can exploit them. So it's, it's important that, you know, the G9 It's great to hear that, sir. So we'll go, instead of going uh, laterally, let's go vertically and talk about whole government and interagency coordination. So one of the, you know, most important things that civil affairs really serves, in my opinion, is the ability to bring other elements of the U.S. government in to be able to speak their language. And, you know, Africa, as someone has said, it's, it's the State Department's, it's the State Department's continent. You know, CENTCOM's run by the army some some say and you know all countries run by the ambassador but the state department has a big thing how is the g9 um able to integrate some of those amazing capabilities of our interagency partners across the dime specifically diplomacy yeah. information and economics to get after some of those issues whether it be uh lack of governable spaces or some of the malign influence and efforts by competitors another great question so there's a couple ways that we're getting after that obviously we have a poll ad here um, that is assisting the commander, as well as the staff on some of the political aspects. Inside the G9, we have a, a, a gym, uh, interagency planner position, uh, currently not being filled, but we're in the process of filling that. We're um, going through interviews now. So hopefully I'll have a, a interagency planner here shortly that's going to really be getting after a lot of that. Um, so in the meantime, the staff here um, in the G9 is getting after a lot of those uh, task and trying to incorporate those throughout the uh, operations that we have here. And then the last piece of the whole thing is the exercise program that we have is a, a key component, both AFRICOM and as well as U.S. Army Africa have, has a component of an interagency piece that we incorporate in the exercises and are able to get after that from that perspective also. That's that's great to see that that's going on, sir, and, and it's a very concerted effort um, to have that done. Is there one, you know, other OGA, other government agency that you guys find yourselves working the most with, whether it be state or USAID or maybe like USIP or something along those lines? Is there one specific, yeah. or is it pretty much context dependent on the on the country? Um, USAID probably would be the biggest one, I would say, because of the projects and in, in, in getting after uh, a lot of the planning that we do here is the probably the easiest one and probably see that and then women's peace and security is a, an aspect that is um, a big piece of what AFRICOM's getting after on an interagency perspective and we're we have a, a piece of that also as the land component command excellent sir and so you definitely talked about how ca is integrating different elements of national power which often go across multiple domains. And that leads me to my next question, which is, as the Army begins to look at this new multi-domain concept, MDO, multi-domain operations, which is supposed to be in doctrine next year sometime, give or take, from what the messages are coming out, um, how is 
G9 and CAO, CMO on continent, integrating themselves across multiple domains. We're the masters of the human domain. That's kind of, you know, CA's uh, area. Um, which uh, domains are we integrating with and how is the G9 and CTAF uh, facilitating that for the teams downrange as well as the uh, command itself? The human domain, obviously, is the biggest one that we're probably getting after. And um, at the staff level, just trying to incorporate that into the planning as well as the uh, analysis and assessments of what we're getting after is how we're probably incorporating that at a staff level. And then just tying in from the G9 to the J9, J39 perspective up in, or J, correction, J56 up in Africom. How is, um, how is CAO and CMO and your shop in the G9 uh, tying into uh, information operations? Specifically, um, if you look at some of the doctrine, it specifically lifts CA as an information-related capability in IRC. Uh, is CTAF or AFRICOM utilizing your efforts via the PAO or the IO cell to put out those messages and enhance your uh, operations and your, um, your conduct on the continent to uh, amplify those effects? One day a week, I'm in a uh, working group that kind of gets after that. And we, led by the RPAO on the staff here in CTAF, um, but we do have an IO component to that that helps uh, coordinate that. We have a small piece in that. Obviously, the operations that we're doing, the activities we're doing, kind of really are uh, being able to leverage that. Um, having Boots on the ground in Africa, like I said, right now, as, as the SFAB gets more up to speed, they'll have a bigger role in that. But civil affairs prior to the SFAB getting here was really the biggest boots on the ground that we had on the, on the continent. So leveraging just their activities and, and highlighting that those kind of things are the, the big piece. So um, the medical aspect of, of what we're doing, as well as just the normal activities of engagement and getting after and, and meeting with people is a big aspect of what we were doing on the continent, big picture wise. Yes, sir. So now that's definitely a positive messaging. Um, and we've seen with some of our competitors and other theaters when we're on the ground, they'll put out negative messaging against our uh, efforts and our our operations. Have we experienced, have you seen any of that yet within the AFRICOM and the USRAF operation sphere? Uh, I can think of sometimes, you know, if there's an exercise in Europe, the Russians will put out a message about how the tanks are destroying the roads. Uh, the Chinese might do the same thing with some of their port operations. Has that something we've experience yet or is that something that hasn't really popped on the radar a little bit so obviously in the exercise program where you have a a grouping of forces and activities that's probably where you would see the greatest amount of activity uh, negative activity from outside um, actors doing almost exactly what you kind of said is uh, messaging some of the negative things that go on and then there was a, a huge concern and we didn't have to worry about this per se um this year, because uh, the exercise program was kind of put on hold because of COVID, but there was a, a big fear about coming boots on the ground, especially with troops from Italy in a COVID environment and basically being infecting people on the continent. So, like I said, we, we kind of bit the bullet and, and put things on hold for the safety and security of both forces as well as just um, activities in general. So we probably would have saw more of that. We'll see what happens uh, next year when we do get after African Lion 21 and, and some of the other stuff that we're going to be doing. Roger, sir. 
So um, we're coming up on the close here. So I got two more two more subjects to talk about. And um, the uh, so being an ASCC and not on the special operations side of the house, um, the 2018 uh, National Defense Strategies Irregular Warfare Annex was recently released as an unclassified document. And one of the biggest and I think one of the most important things that that says is that irregular warfare is not monopolized by special operation forces. So being the G9 and having either special operations forces trained uh, civil affairs elements from the 83rd or those with the same capabilities from the reserve component, how are you able to integrate some of those IW or regular warfare capabilities into CTAF's uh, plans that they might not have normally done before that IW or annex released? My boss always likes to say, do what your, your boss tells you to do. So his boss, the AFRICOM commander, is still probably in the development stages of that and does have some components on the soft side that are still probably focused on that. Our role for the land component is still, and I think to be fair for, for us, and I'll, I'll, I'll use this as a cop out, is that with the SFAB and being focused on that and, and getting them on the ground and integrated into operations, we probably haven't been right this second in, in a COVID environment that focused on that, but that's potentially an area to develop as we move forward. It definitely seems like with not only with the CTAF uh, aligning with uh, United States Army Europe, as well as some of these new um, doctrine updates, there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of expansion that CTAF has to accept some of these challenges in this really diverse and complex operating environment. So it definitely seems to be like A, a great assignment that you're at right now, and B, a challenge and a rewarding challenge for some of the teams and the staff augmentees that are going to be coming towards you. Um, yeah. So on that, and I'll close you with this, this question then, um, what would you say are some of the most important skills that you want to see from teams as the G9 when they come into continent? Um, and then finally, can you recommend a book or two for anybody that might be coming to work in the, uh, in the user apps or in the CTAF or AFRICOM AOR? I got a list of like 40 books so we can go. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, have, I have a few books that we can mention. Coming to the African continent or coming to a command, it really – what is asked of you? And this is a great question because it really gets after with, with both AFRICOM, myself, and the, the troops that we have on the ground. What do you need to know and do and prepare before getting here? So depending, it depends. Strategic level, operational level, or tactical level. Um, so obviously at the tactical level, uh, great communication skills, written skills, the reports you're doing, being able to write well and succinctly is, is huge. Obviously, having great computer skills for the sim aspect of things is important also. At the operational level, um, I've kind of gone back and forth, and maybe I'm biased, and I'm going to freely admit that. Being at the operational level, obviously, I think that's now probably the most important level out of the three, right, because I, I work here. But we are trying to translate those big strategic thoughts into tactical tasks for the for the teams and then to take the stuff that we get from the teams, the the effects from the teams and then turn that into actually strategic uh, wins is really uh, what we're trying to get after. So having a regional understanding, actually having at, at this level, working at U.S. Army Africa, being able to understand the staff processes, MDMP, um, as well as what the team should be doing, could be doing, so you can give better guidance to them, as well as being able to be a great staff officer to turn those tactical effects into strategic wins. And then obviously at the strategic level, I'll, I'll let 
uh, Kyle, Corey, and Matt Holmes, they probably answer that one probably fairly well. But um, obviously having big picture thoughts, being well-read and understanding of, of the environment is probably the, what I would say is the biggest thing you can probably do at a strategic level. Excellent. And then oh, a book. and the books. You want me to do the books now? One, yeah, a book. Well, uh, I can limit you to two because we're short on time. Because I know you are a well-read right. gentleman and probably have a whole library to recommend. <laughs> yeah. So I'll give you two great books um, for people to kind of think about and look. Uh, Martin Meredith, M-E-R-E-D-I-T-H. He wrote a book called The Fate of Africa. And Howard French um, talks about China's second continent. So obviously trying to read books that are a little bit more recent. Um, Howard French's book with the China's second continent being uh, kind of related to the GPC aspect of things. Uh, Martin Meredith's book, The Fate of Africa, basically what happened with uh, post-World War II Africa and where we are today. Um, so it kind of gives you, again, that good regional understanding and then the GPC aspect of things. So those would be the two books I would definitely recommend right now to go get after. But there's a ton of books that like I said, it's not the United States of Africa. So there's books all over the, uh, on the map on, on all kinds of stuff. Thanks a lot. No, thank you very much, sir. On behalf of the Civil Affairs Association and the 1CA podcast, I've been your host, James Machichi. And once again, this has been our guest, Lieutenant Colonel Albert Augustine. He is the G9 at the CTAF, the Southern European Task Force, which is responsible for the AFRICOM AOR as an Army Service Component Command. And uh, we thank you very much for your time, sir. And uh, once again, this is the 1CA podcast. Make sure to subscribe and also check out the Civil Affairs Association website where you can read Unomio Journal or view any of the videos and previous 1CA podcasts. Thank you again very much, sir. Hey, thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast and others, please remember to subscribe and hit like so the 1CA podcast team gets important feedback and support. The Civil Affairs Association is a proud sponsor of the 1CA podcast and the Unomia Journal. You can find more podcasts like this on www.1capodcast.org. The Unomia Journal is expanding its content to reach a broader audience and engagement across defense and governments to include other partners in allied countries. New sections in the Warrior Scholar Corner and the Team Room aim to deliver content useful to our members. Check out the Unomia Journal at www.unomiajournal.com. If you are not a member yet, please visit the main CA Association website and find a new range of membership options. Don't miss out! Thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of 1CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory.